0: to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeffler. Each week you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this
1: space. So I'm in Building 31 today, up on the third floor. It's uh, semi-clear skies. We're definitely winter's winter is coming here in Seattle, and I'm with Abram Jackson. So thanks for joining today. Thank you, Jeremy. We um, we've been working quite closely since well since I came back to Microsoft because of the ramp up to Ignite with um, all the announcements we did. And I think by far the biggest announcement was the Microsoft Graph Data Connect out of everything that we were were touching on the dev side. So um, it's been a pleasure working with you. For those that don't know you. Um, Who are you, what is your role, and what do you currently do at Microsoft? And then we'll get a bit deeper into history and stuff.
0: Sure. So I'm Abram Jackson. I'm a principal program manager uh, working in Microsoft Graph. Uh, I'm the, the product manager for Microsoft Graph Data Connect. Great. And uh, how long have you been at Microsoft? I've been at Microsoft for uh, seven and a half years now. Uh, So uh, I started, you know, right out of college. Well, uh, as a full-time employee, seven and a half years. Uh, So actually, while I was in college, I was actually editing developer documentation as a contractor.
1: Wow, Uh,
0: okay. Documentation on Dynamics AX. Yeah. uh, And so the developers would input the comments uh, into, like, the business logic uh, in Dynamics. Yeah. Uh, and it was my job to understand their comments based on the, what they wrote and then the, uh, their actual X++ code uh, and then figure out what they actually meant and then turn that into, like, some sort of, like, manual or the, the right style for all of the documentation. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And how, how did you get into the AX world? Because that seems really obscure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um,
0: well, uh, So uh, I went to college in North Dakota. Uh, That's uh, where where I was born and uh, went to college. And Microsoft actually has a very large office in North Dakota. Uh, It originally came out of uh, uh, an acquisition of Great Plains Software, uh, which became Dynamics GP. And a lot of the dynamics development happens in the Fargo office. It's actually, uh, I think Microsoft's second largest satellite campus, uh, working largely on dynamics. Uh, and so, uh, it was pretty easy to get started working there while I was in college, you know, not making very much money, but, uh, getting my foot in the door at the company.
1: Fosier. Yeah. And so tell me, is Fargo like the film and the TV show or is that just totally dramatised? Uh,
0: well, it is absolutely like the film. Like, uh, really? yeah, like, um, yeah. Like the duck stamp competition, (laughs) like that, that we talked about. That was absolutely a big thing. (laughs) Now, a a lot of Fargoans will tell you that that film actually takes place near Bemidji for the vast majority of the film, but it is the same. Yeah, that is 100% accurate.
1: It's funny, I just uh, finished watching Ozarks, and um, one of our uh, podcast listeners, and he actually uh, has been on the show a few times. He he lives uh, around that area, but he said it wasn't actually filmed anywhere near Ozarks. <laughs> it was actually filmed in a completely different state. Yeah. So, um, but he said there's a, there's accurate portrayals of the culture of where they are, but it's just not filmed specifically where the the title of the TV show is stated. But uh, Fargo was right. That was filmed there, and oh yeah. So
0: the initial scene takes place in Fargo, uh, and then uh, yeah, then it moves over into uh, Minnesota. I understand. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. No, I need to rewatch I mean, that film. It is a great it, film. It is classic, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so, <laughs> okay. how did you get into tech? So you got to college in that side? Yeah. Um, was it something you've always been involved in? You know, uh, computers have always interested me. My family had uh,
0: computers pretty early. Um, Which ones? Because this is always an interest the yeah, uh, uh, Apple IIe uh, was uh, what we had in our household. Yeah. Uh, and so that was always interesting. Uh, and then, of course, we moved up to, you know, the, the Beige Tower. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. in the, in, uh, so uh, my brother and sister are quite a bit older, right? And so they taught me, you know, how to use... IRC, uh, you know, MUDs, uh, right, these sorts of things. And so yep. it was always uh, very interesting to me. So I took more of an interest in high school. And then in college, I uh, I got a degree in computer science and management information
1: systems. Yeah, okay. Yep. Are both of your siblings, are they are they all in tech or did they go different no, ways?
0: No, no, they went different ways. Huh. Uh, yeah, my, my sister does marketing. Uh, my brother is uh, working for the railroad.
1: Right, okay. Yeah. So they kind of set you in the right direction yeah. and then you just continued on that, that yeah. tr- trial. After college, I applied uh, to
0: Microsoft for a full-time position. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I uh, landed on the exchange team, uh, exchange high availability. Right. So this is uh, 2011. Uh,
1: is mid- so that? Did you relocate <laughs> here to do that?
0: Yeah. So uh, r- so then right after college, you know, uh, I graduated. I figured I probably needed uh, maybe three days or so uh, <laughs> bef- before I uh, move and start my job. So I gave myself a you know a day off or something <laughs> like that. Um, So uh, I proposed to my to my girlfriend. Wow! uh, (laughs) And uh, then we moved out here. uh, uh, We started renting. Uh, the apartments, I uh, started work, uh, left my job, packed up, right. Uh, all of that in about a, a week span or something That's like that. That's pretty so impressive.
1: It's <laughs> it a whirlwind, literally.
0: Uh, yeah. Ne- next time I'll probably wait one week. I think it's probably <laughs> Just more take appropriate a, take a time. Take a break. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. And so you were in the high availability team for... Exchange. Yeah. And back then, I mean, would that have been kind of the BPOS days were kicking around?
0: Yeah. So uh, so I was on the high availability team for maybe five years or something like that. And early on, it was pretty early in the cloud services Mm -hmm. journey, right, where the cloud product was BPOS, right? And then, uh, you know, we started, we we took uh, the BPOS code base, right, and turned it into Exchange Online, Mm -hmm. uh, launched just a couple of months after I joined. It was actually really nice. I got this plaque that says, Uh, we could not have launched Exchange Online without your contributions. (laughs) And I'm two months in or something like that.
1: (laughs) Take full credit.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so uh, you can thank me for Exchange Online. Um, Yeah, and then uh, Exchange Server 2013, Exchange Server 2016. uh, I was still working on the high availability team. So your favorite features there, you'll see uh, blog posts from me about managed availability. uh, If you're familiar with, with that stuff. I also worked quite a bit on... Site resilience, uh, and business continuity, uh, and meeting the audits, and developing features. Uh, so, uh, you know, running the uh, world's largest instance of cloud software or on-prem software is yeah, so what I like joke, to say, right? right? So yeah. we take we take this we took the same boxed product that you can get or you know by download, uh, you know, and built the management capabilities on it to make you know. Uh, a uh, transform it into like a, a cloud-native uh, operation.
1: And I think a lot of the learnings there were then taken into how SharePoint did the same thing and Skype for Business with Link did the same thing that's now involved in Teams. So that was a cool place to be for sure in, yeah. in the company.
0: Yeah, uh, Exchange and our leadership likes to take a lot of credit uh, for... Uh, well, everything uh, <laughs> from uh, the success of PowerShell to the success of Active Directory to the success of online services at Microsoft. Um,
1: <laughs> there's, there's definitely a lot of gravity here. And when when Yina was offering me a role in the Graph team, and she'd just been reorged into Exchange, I was like, "Yeah, okay, this is a really good place to land. Yeah, back into Microsoft.
0: Yeah, and of course, uh, you know, the the people that were working on Exchange right are no longer really the Exchange team right now. Right. It's uh, Office three six five and, you know, the the core systems behind that. Yeah, yeah. Right, so it's a really good place to be. And so uh, from the high availability team, um, so we accomplished a lot of stuff there, and then we were looking for a program manager to help with analytics scenarios. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, uh, you know, my uh, lead's lead, uh, my grand manager uh, moved me over uh, into working on analytics. And, uh, you know, that's where I've been now for the last few years.
1: And so th- this evolution of analytics, I mean, we, we're now publicly with Microsoft Graph, Data Connect, um, is, is stuff you worked on internally for products that Microsoft shipped that now mm-hmm. we're kind of exposing for customers directly, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the idea, and even very early on when our, at, we were building these analytics products, um, we're always thinking about hey, you know, we can build really incredible products ourselves, right, and provide uh, great out-of-the-box experience for our customers. However, we're not going to be able to build all intelligent or analytics applications, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, w- at some point, we're, we're going to need to open this up so that our customers can build their own analytics.
1: And, and yeah, it's like the whole one-size-fits-all. for all. Every company is looking at their analytics a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, and so mm-hmm. I'm betting you were hearing a lot of kind of, can we have this feature and that feature? And you're like, this is going to turn into Frankenstein product if we're not careful. Yeah, you
0: know, it's been pretty interesting, right? Uh, So Office 365 has lots of different uh, styles and kinds of analytics, right? And so there's uh, analytics that we need to do to, um, you know, understand and then build features, you know, that turn into things like, um, you know, adaptive cards and the ones that come out of the box for adaptive cards. Uh, And then there's... um, Helping users with their personal analytics, with like my analytics, right, is a really valuable solution for knowledge workers.
1: It's sometimes depressing to be told how many hours you spend in meetings.
0: My numbers don't always look good, um, but that is my fault. It's not because I don't know them or what I'm doing. Uh, I just need to. Do better. Uh, And then, of course, uh, this scenario is for organizations like um, usage reporting and workplace analytics, which helps organizations, you know, immediately get huge value out of understanding their organization and transforming their culture, right? And so these are very different classes of analytics types, right, between individual users or just understanding or across an entire organization. Yeah. So, uh, pretty early on, we uh, struggled with having lots of systems and pipelines, uh, all because they're they're doing different things, uh, sort of working in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we we've tried a lot of things, basically, is what I'm getting to. Uh, and so, you know, we we can't um, do all of these externally, or, or it's. Uh, it was way too complicated for anybody to uh, build on yet, right?
1: And I, I guess, you know, there's probably a big assumption that, well, surely, Abram, you just have access to all the underlying databases <laughs> and you can just, you know, do a big join and point Power BI at it and, you know, your uncle, but I guess the reality is that's not the case for all manner of reasons.
0: Yeah, I I mean, uh, you know, one of our our very core principles that we have in all things that we do within Office 365 is uh, the security of the data, Mm -hmm. right? And so, um, you know, even if I wanted to, I can't go look at somebody's data, right? Mm -hmm. And that creates all sorts of problems for user understanding, How do you do user understanding and feature development when you can't go look at anybody's data, right? Uh, So that is uh, one tough problem. The other tough problem is just uh, the scale that we're talking about, right? In the last quarterly earnings, we just talked um, 155 million active users, right? They all get, uh, even only in exchange, they all get 100 gigabyte mailboxes, right? So we're talking about a phenomenal quantity of data and it gets it gets beyond the big data system where you can probably fit it on a larger laptop right sometimes people (laughs) will call that a big data system Uh, right i mean there's uh, i have lost track of our server count but you know we we have a lot of stuff Going on that we want to be able to do analytics on. Yeah. So uh, the way that this evolved into Microsoft Graph Data Connect, I mean, like I said, we already always wanted you know customers to be able to do this analytics, uh, and so we took a, um, a we we sort of realized that this method of building all of our own tools uh, within Office three six five. It wasn't going to keep scaling forever, right, for all of these different scenario types. So we pivoted a little bit to uh, instead of trying to build our own systems and our own tools is looking around the company for who else is building developer tools. Uh, And of course, uh, that is Azure, right? Uh, it, it It was becoming very evident that it was becoming silly to uh, rebuild functionality when Azure is, uh, that's their core purpose, right, is helping folks, you know, run these these tools and systems. Especially with Azure's uh, huge focus on big data and analytics and artificial intelligence and indexing, where they've been uh, really making huge strides in those areas. So we wanted to take uh, the data that we have in Office 365 and get it over to Azure so that the Azure tooling system can work on it.
1: And so are there, I mean, we always talk about this first-party, third-party approach, but are there first-party Microsoft products that are consuming this technology stack in the same way?
0: Absolutely. You know, um, yeah, they're probably the, the clearest example uh, is the Workplace Analytics product. Yeah where it is getting data from, you know, um, all of the users in an organization, all of the licensed users, uh, and it is, uh, processing that data, you know, um, so it's getting data in the same way, it's being managed in the same way, uh, and it's using those results to make an application in the same way, yeah. and of course the the big difference there is that Microsoft is running it, uh, and so uh, it's going to be a little bit different just in um, the setup, right? So uh, they don't necessarily uh, use the same toggles and things like that. Those are the sorts of the differences. So we're we're taking that idea and all of those systems and processes and the technology underlying Workplace Analytics as well as other products uh, and making it available, uh, pivoting it just slightly so that it works for customers.
1: And so some of the example scenarios, like I'll throw one out there that I use on a weekly basis. We've talked about my analytics and mm-hmm. the, the digest email that drops every week. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad for me. Um, I, I actually use it as a measure of, okay, like how many of these meetings do I actually need to be in? Because it'll tell you how many hours a week it's doing because it's looking at your meetings and it's making some insight into if the meeting is more than eight hours excluded, if it's, you know, your meeting and you're the only one in it, then technically it's not a meeting, those types of things. But then it's also looking at your messages in your mailbox and kind of making insight on who the people are you're communicating with the most and suggesting that you've not got in touch with Abram in the last month or so, maybe you should reach out and build that connection again. So I find those insights super useful. So although it's, Inside, it's analytics. It's not necessary. I'm looking at a dashboard of graphs. Like mm-hmm. it's uh, in the case of that digest email, doing some really intelligent things and presenting it in a way to me that's useful for my own personal productivity. But for, from what you've done with other partners internally, what other scenarios have you seen that you know really really makes sense? Looking at all that data and making these kind of decisions.
0: In, you know, uh, internally, there's really uh, quite a. a uh, a broad selection of things that are happening, right? So I mentioned uh, understanding our users uh, and then being able to power experiences like flight cards, right, which is just, uh, in, in order to understand how to uh, map the, the data of an email um, into, you know, here is always where to find the destination airport, right? Or uh, the name of the hotel or the price or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to be able to look at a lot of that content, so that's one that we found pretty useful internally, right? And the the customer pivot of that one is for your internal tool systems, right? They'll often communicate uh, or generate artifacts uh, into, into your email, right? And maybe they use Open Schema, uh, and then you get it pretty straightforward. Uh, but in many cases, they don't. And you need to be able to analyze really thousands or hundreds of thousands of these messages to really... Um, <laughs> and really get the that schema and really the important information if you wanted to turn it into an adaptive card or do something else with it.
1: Right, and so Data Connect would be allowed to kind of get access to that level of messages to be able to kind of do that inside across, across yeah. to then provide more information directly okay. in adaptive cards and things inside of Outlook.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, a, another scenario that we see come up pretty often uh, and... Uh, This was uh, just included in uh, the new Dynamics product, um, AI for Sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, so there, you'll you'll see uh, some of the features that are in AI for sales getting data from uh, your communication patterns, right? And so uh, this helps salespeople, uh, you know, either find a, a lead into uh, the, the into the lead opportunity, the the customer. You'll also see uh, being able sales managers being able to understand not just all of the conversations that salespeople have entered in manually, uh, but out, automatically analyzed, and then. Pull all of that in into a, a dashboard for sales opportunities that are likely to close or not likely to close, and being able to see that with the size and joined with the CRM data uh, to really provide a, a great experience for that sales manager.
1: Right,
0: right. So you, you'll see uh, similar things from you know, I hear similar things from customers where they want to be able to understand you know the the performance of you know salespeople or even other people, right, and find the best practices there uh, and either provide it to their managers. Like in sort of a workplace analytics style, mm-hmm. or back down to those individual users in a my analytics style,
1: and so, I mean, putting our developer hats on now, that all sounds great, and um, you know, I think for me personally, this is the a reality of the artificial intelligence machine language kind of hype that we see at all these keynotes every six months, like. Without data, none of this stuff can actually work. You know, you see these demos of Contoso Mm -hmm. and AdventureWorks and, you know, the usual suspects. But, um, you know, this is one that is a reality that can be used against the data set inside each tenant that as a developer, I'm working with a customer or my own internal Mm -hmm. um, company. What does this look like as a dev? Because um, this, and we'll talk a little bit about what how this compares to Microsoft Graph API in a moment. But what's it? What's the experience look like for a developer getting into this? You're
0: absolutely right. That uh, you know the the challenge with artificial intelligence and machine learning right now is. Uh, having data to work with, yeah. right, and in uh, often uh, the cleaned data to work with is is often is often case uh, a real problem, right? Is um, there's no shortage of incredible problems that can be solved with uh, the current generation of compute and d- deep neural nets, uh, but really uh, it's always a struggle to find the data. So this is something that we want to make as easy as possible. So. Uh, back to your question, the developer experience, we want to make this as easy for the developer as possible. And so specifically, uh, a a developer can use Azure Data Factory. Uh, And Azure Data Factory is a really incredible tool for uh, consuming data, uh, moving it around to the right places, kicking off uh, processing on that data. Uh, it's really a, a data workflow management system and it's uh, wonderful for doing this with huge amounts of data. And so you as a developer can basically click on Office 365 within the Data Factory portal. Uh, there's a little bit of other configuration uh, and click go, right? So that's the that's our uh, data discovery and uh, go get the data flow, right? And now that you, uh, th- there's some more pieces in this around the security and the governance and, and everything like that that we can talk about, uh, but your job as a developer, right, is uh, really straightforward in terms of getting the data. And now that you have the data into your Azure Storage or your Azure Data Lake account, you can do uh, really incredible things with it, whether that's with Databricks, or HD Insight, or Azure Machine Learning, or SQL Server, uh, and SQL Data Warehouse. Uh, Really, Azure has got, um, you know, uh, types of resources that are available for you, you know, however you prefer to work for whatever kind of scenario that you're familiar with, all the way up to creating dashboards and things like Power BI, uh, all the way down to running deep neural nets with Spark.
1: And so, you know, for me coming into this um SharePoint developer for a long long time, mm-hmm. .net developer for a long long time before that. Um, and Data Factory and Data Bricks were like two terms that even when I was in Azure marketing working in Azure Functions app service, I was like I have never heard of these things before. <laughs> but in using them, they're very straightforward and as you as you say like Azure are building dev tools and these are just two tools that are, you know, it, perfect for this role of Getting the data from one place to putting it into another place, mm-hmm. um, and then using something like Databricks to run some uh, machine learning rules over the top to provide insight that then your application can use. Yeah, um, I think the best way to explain it would be like the the Ignite demo that uh, was built, which we have a full lab that you can kind of build this yourself. Mm-hmm. Do you want to just explain that and put it into the context of like how the data factory and uh, Databricks come into that? Overall scenario, yeah. So uh, the the demo
0: that Jeremy's talking about, um, you know, this is uh, it, it goes back to that uh, that warm lead sort of scenario, uh, and you, you you'll you'll find this in uh, in the training lab. So the, the scenario here is you're a salesperson. You've got a, a lead opportunity with uh, some customer for whatever you're trying to sell, uh, and you're looking for somebody in your company that already knows somebody at the at the customer, right? And so um, right now, I mean, you can like you know sort of ask around or post on your message board or something like that, right? But we have all of that communication data in your tenant, right? And Office three hundred and sixty five's got all of those, whether it's by uh, chat or email or a phone call. And so, we're, uh, the idea is to build a communication graph uh, for the people in your company and the people in, in your customer's company. So Data Factory uh, is sort of the, the first stage here, right? So uh, the first step is to take the data in Office 365 uh, in, you know, in a, a very bulk, you know, thousands or millions of records sorts of way, uh, and get them into your Azure Storage. I believe in the demo, uh, we're using Blob Storage, uh, Azure Storage Blob, uh, for the first step, and then it's uh, the then we get into the Azure side of the compute. And so now we need to take this data and we need to transform it into a format that we can easily query and display, right? So there's multiple approaches you can take with this. In the training lab, we use Data Lake Analytics uh, to re to rewrite the data and then read it off with a web service VM, right? So we took sort of the, the very simplest approach. Right. Uh, it, w- we've also t- um, done demos of a much more complicated approach, uh, which uses a Databricks cluster uh, and a Python script within there uh, to do much more complicated understanding of those relationships and then uh, write them into Cosmos DB and then use a Gremlin Graph Query API so that you can actually see that graph uh, of those communications and traverse uh, through it uh, in order to, you know, find the best path to somebody that knows the customer.
1: Yeah. And when it, when it was putting it into the blobs, essentially it was a JSON kind of collection of the return messages in that instance from mail across multiple inboxes, mailboxes within the, the tenant. Um, and so kind of that end to end scenario, you, you could build that, could, Build that um, against the graph, but you're going to significantly hit uh, throttling issues very, very quickly. Um, and you know, sure, you can use delta queries to maybe not keep refetching the same messages that were in someone's mailbox yesterday mm-hmm. and get the most recent for each user. But um, I think this access pattern uh, it fits this scenario more, you know, more uh, accurately than kind of going through the graph APIs. It, Is there anyone you want to add there to based on that? Like, what other things you're seeing? Like, is there like a a quick sentence you can say why you would do this rather than smash the graph API yeah. directly? Yeah, I, I mean uh,
0: really anytime that you need, you know if you're thinking about hundreds of thousands or even hundreds of millions of objects that you need uh, you're going to have a, a pretty difficult time using the very um, transactional, real-time, get-a-data in it, uh, part of the graph APIs. Mm-hmm. So we see customer scenarios uh, primarily in three big spaces, right? There's Analytics, which is analyzing uh, these communication patterns. The, in indexing, uh, which is uh, either creating a searchable index, but often much more complicated than that. We see scenarios like um, building a bot based on your help desk communications uh, to provide a first level of help desk support, uh, uh, so you can create a some knowledge understanding uh, uh, system. And then uh, artificial intelligence, right? So artificial intelligence, particularly deep neural nets, uh, mm-hmm. need millions of records in order to be partic- to be effective. Uh, and so uh, anything that is, uh, you know, AI-based, whether that turns into a conversation with a bot uh, or whether it turns into some sort of classification system, you know, to understand the knowledge or whatever it is. Uh, so we see the indexing, Artificial intelligence and analytics scenarios are really what we're going after.
1: And you mentioned earlier on this concern of kind of like compliance and data privacy and security being really, really important. I think the other benefit of kind of going down this route of Data Connect is that um, administrators can be in control of that developer that goes into Data Factory and picks his connection to connect the data, yeah. hence mm-hmm. Data Connect. Um can do that at a very fine-grained level. Do you want to explain a little bit about what that means as an administrator, kind of giving the keys to a developer on what they have to access?
0: Yeah, what we see, uh, you know, our customers uh, that are trying to do these analytics and artificial intelligence and uh, indexing scenarios, right, is... um, it's it's pretty it's a very difficult sell, right? Because uh, most of a business's intellectual property, all of their trade secrets, right, are, uh, exist in their communications. Wh- whether that's their files or their emails, you know, just about all things that a business does is represented in there, right? Uh, and so, from one perspective, uh, the data contained in the in the customer's Office three six five is you know the most sensitive, prized. Uh, high-value possession that they have, right? And so um, that is why, uh, you know, I, I'm, everyone needs to uh, think about governance so often, right? Even if uh, you, as a developer, hope that you don't have to, I'm sure if, if you've got a production product, uh, you've been thinking about it anyway, right? So uh, we, we've added uh, a bunch of capabilities to make this, uh, you know, this large-scale data access uh, and can, this... this uh, connection more, uh, more tenable to administrators. Mm-hmm. So th- there's a, a few different aspects of this. There's you as a developer can specify uh, which set of users that you want. Uh, and so you don't need to get access to the entire tenant, right? And so this, this allows a, a company to just in, just uh, enable this for their sales organization. Or, right? like,
1: or eliminate the exec management team or something.
0: Yeah, right. And so uh, installing just for uh, the organization what actually needs it and then, you know, don't include the lawyers communications in this, right, uh, is, is sort of the first step. The second step is getting very granular control over which data you're getting. So you don't have to just say all mail. Uh, In fact, you can say just sent items. Uh, then even within that, you can specify which columns you need. So if you're trying to create a relationship graph, uh, you probably don't need the content of those messages. Mm-hmm. And so you can exclude that content or uh, really just get it down to just the three properties that you actually need. And so uh, we take that bundle of which data you're accessing, uh, including which columns and which users you're accessing, uh, and we provide the experience in Office 365 Privileged Access Management to give the administrator um, very detailed information about exactly what you're accessing, right, and we verify, you know, that this doesn't change later, right. Mm-hmm. So uh, if the administ- the administrator is seeing that you're only getting, you know, the receive date time and the sender, uh, I guess the sent date time and the sender of of email messages in the sent items folder for the sales org right he knows that your application is never going to be able to access anything else
1: right, right, right
0: so it's much easier for him to make that approval decision and then the the third stage here is that we are adding capabilities for that administrator to add on additional privacy filtering rules so even if your application is installed for all salespeople, right? Well, you probably included your, your uh, head of sales in that group, right? That, that's how you set up your AD group. Uh, and so now the administrator gets the option of excluding that user, and not only excluding that user's messages, but it, uh, any messages sent to that user are now also excluded
1: right, uh, if okay. the administrator
0: wants to remove that.
1: So you can get very granular with the datasets that you allow these different developers or the parties to have access to. Yeah, and and that data because it's all in Azure, it's technically it's not leaving the tenant of that customer's tenant either. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. like the access pattern with the graph right now would be that i use the graph as a third party to you know iterate through everybody's mailbox one by one and do the delta on comparisons from previous day and dump that into a database on my side in my you know saas tenant that might be sharded based on each customer that i have as a partner having their own database but the reality is is that as a partner i'm the one that owns that yeah and so this gives us the peace of mind that the data's in my tenant still and access to it. Yeah, we see this, uh,
0: the administrator, right, providing this uh, assurance to the customer's administrator, right, that uh, it's going to be um, a little bit of peace of mind uh, when they're installing this or approving this data flow, uh, that the data is being transferred only to their own subscription. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so this is in the customer's Azure subscription. Uh, If you're an enterprise developer, um, that's pretty straightforward. But if you are an ISV, uh, we're adding in these capabilities So that you can package up your application and have it deployed, including this data factory connection, right? Including data connect uh, into the customer's Azure subscription. And so now the customer gets to uh, have that peace of mind of at any time they can click the delete button, for example, right? And uh, the application and all of the data uh, goes up in smoke. Uh, And... um, You know, they they get this opportunity to apply some of their own policies uh, to to this application. So, for example, right now, uh, one of the capabilities of Microsoft Graph Data Connect is if you are a a software developer um, and... You can specify in your application manifest that you keep the data encrypted uh, all of the time, say, you're using SQL, that you, all of your SQL databases are always encrypted. Uh, so you specify this in uh, in your policy manifest, and so Azure is continuously verifying that your SQL database remains encrypted.
1: Well, okay.
0: And we take that information that you put this in your manifest, and when we represent this consent request in privileged access management, the office administrator gets to see, hey, my data is always going to be encrypted. As long as it's in my subscription, as long as it's in Azure, we can verify that. Uh, we also have uh, the capa- We also have that audit logs are turned on, right? So that if there's a problem, the ad- those admin the customers administrators can go verify that there is no uh, extra access to this application.
1: Right. And so the access pattern of this with that much fine-grain control um, versus the Graph APIs, it, uh, essentially, you know, the permission scopes you can do at the Graph don't go that granular, especially not down to a attribute level of a, an entity. In this case, the example was kind of looking at messages. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm guessing from a a real-time perspective as well, like when I call the graph API, I'm going to get the Delta sync and is as of the mailbox in that split second. Mm-hmm. But the scale of what your Data Connects is doing, you know, this is a job that runs once a night to go... G- Refresh all the data and push it through the data factory pipe and the data bricks pipe and all those things? Like, how often is that refresh going to happen?
0: Yeah, uh, so we are uh, definitely optimizing towards huge amounts of data, right? Okay. And so, very frequently, these sorts of scenarios are overnight. Uh, And so, you know, sort of the the daily operation. Um, Because we're optimized towards these uh, high-scale, high-throughput jobs, uh, we have uh, orchestration time that's necessary in order for the creation, and so... uh, you know, you won't be able to get a runtime any less than a few hours even for a fairly small amounts of data, right? right? So, uh, we we aren't trying to um, replace any scenarios where you're already using the Graph APIs for, you know, real time or, you know, it's sort of fairly immediate access.
1: Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's read access, right? Because you're taking yeah. the data out, like you can't use it to update messages Absolutely. and things like that.
0: Yep. Yes, yeah. so we were just making a copy of the data over in the customer's Azure subscription, yep. right? And so, of course, you can edit and modify it there, but that's mm-hmm. not going to change the master.
1: Correct. Um, yeah. well, I mean, you could call the graph API, I guess, and then make an update.
0: Yeah, and actually we see... Uh, Maybe even most of our uh, of our developers uh, use both, right? right? U- use the existing uh, REST endpoint yeah. and yeah. and also Data Connect, yeah. right? Because okay. uh, maybe they are um, training a model that better understands the content of these messages, mm-hmm. right? And now they can go update those messages, can
1: reclassify re- them, or tag them, or
0: yeah, right? Uh, or there's um, you know, of course, there's authentication. Uh, I think just about all of all of our developer scenarios reuse. Uh, Active Directory for authentication and the, and the graph for that, uh, and so yet yeah, very often, right? You want to do that as those analytics, but you also want to provide that end user with some action mm-hmm. uh, or, or some data at the time that they need it.
1: So, th- I mean, the entities that were supported in the Graph API and Graph Data Connect, um, what? Where are we at? Because I mean, mm-hmm. this is in preview right now. This is not GA just yeah. yet. Um, so, what what entities can be used within Data Connect right now?
0: Yeah, so uh, th- that's right. We're, we're in preview. Uh, we started with uh, some of the data that our, our customers were asking us for, uh, and so right now, uh, you can think about this as um, the email messages, uh, users' cal- contacts or personal contacts, their calendars, uh, as well as uh, the user object information from Active Directory. Mm-hmm. Uh, We also have a couple of uh, periphery things like the mailbox settings, you know, if the message or the working hours, those sorts of things, as well as mail folder names.
1: Yeah. And so it's interesting because when I saw that list of like mailbox settings, why does that make sense? But in talking to like the workplace analytics guys, there's a lot of insight that they can pivot on based on the time zone they're in and if they're out of office or not.
0: Yeah, you're, that that uh, ends up interesting for a lot of scenarios, especially understanding culture uh, and organization, but also uh, you know other sorts of scenarios for sales performance or even classification, you know, between personal and work emails, right? Those working hours and those oof messages. Like um, when you get a little bit more advanced in the scenario, like these edge cases get to be very important.
1: And so, as a developer, knowing all that now and going, wow, there's some really cool scenarios I can go build for our own company or if I'm a third party going, I see some software ideas here that we can go package this up. Yeah, uh, Where's the best place to get started on this?
0: Yeah, so the very best place to get started uh, is graph.microsoft.com. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you click on the documentation, uh, one of those first links you'll see on the sidebar is an overview of Microsoft Graph Data Connect. Uh, from there, uh, it gets into the detailed documentation. Uh, we have uh, the the training lab, uh, we have a GitHub repo of uh, some of the details. Uh, while we're in preview. Uh, And then, of course, um, you know, you can uh, just reach out. Uh, You know, we're on the same graph team. Uh, So the existing mechanisms, uh, you know, through user voice uh, and so on, right now we're going to get all that as well.
1: Great. And um, you did a really good Ignite session as well. So if someone wanted to watch you present kind of the end-to-end demo, the on-demand of that Ignite session is available on YouTube, which I'll make sure is in the show notes too. Because yeah. sometimes just seeing it, you're like, okay, this is not as overwhelming as uh, maybe people think straight off the bat.
0: Yeah, and if it is overwhelming, tell me. Like, it, it, <laughs> it shouldn't be, right? right. Um, and you know, and if, you are, uh, if you're more familiar with uh, Azure tools than Office tools, uh, there's also a fantastic write-up in the Azure Data Factory documentation.
1: Oh, okay, great. I'll make sure that's in the notes as well. And so uh, through user voice and Stack Overflow with questions, I guess, and, um, and we've got some good news on user voice coming as well for the graph stuff, which is great. It's going to make it's it so wonderful. much easier for us to manage all the feature requests internally with all the different PMs. Um, and uh, h- how can people follow you externally? Are you a blogger or a Twitterer? Or yeah,
0: a- uh, I, I use Twitter, uh, so I'm at Jamson, A b r a k j a m s o n. You know, you can also find me on LinkedIn. I've got a more professional sounding name uh, on LinkedIn. I'm just Abram Jackson, <laughs> Program Manager at Microsoft.
1: Yeah, okay, excellent. Well, I'll make sure all that's in the show notes so people can follow along. Um, from my own personal experience at Ignite was there was a lot of uh, friends that have been in this space for a long time really excited about those scenarios. So Absolutely. I'm really glad I managed to get in the podcast to talk about this, so big thank you. Thank you. And uh, for taking up your lunch hour on a Friday. So hey. Thank you. Yeah. Um, And we'll definitely get you back on the show, um, probably post-build, I guess, to see what other new things we've announced around Data Connect. Um, Hopefully there's some entities that people are hopefully expecting to be on there that we can start snapping into.
0: We're we're very excited, and if you have feedback about which entities you'd like supported, uh, go ahead and let us know. Uh, you know that helps us make those priority decisions.
1: And and we, you know we went through the whole naming process for this, and there was an internal code name, but have you acronymed this thing yet? Uh,
0: I don't have uh, an acronym. Uh, I'll often just say Data Connect. Yeah, um, but I think uh, Data
1: Connect just works, right? Uh, yeah. We um, I've seen the whole GDC thing in emails already, so I just wondered what you were doing. <laughs>
0: You know, I've seen MGDC and GDC. uh, You know, GDC probably has some conflicting acronyms. It
1: is a very long hashtag if we have the same Microsoft Graph (laughs) Data Connect. Yeah. We should work on that one for sure. Yes. Excellent. Well, look, thanks very much for your time and um, enjoy the rest of your day. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you.
0: Are listening to the microsoft 365 developer podcast please follow us on twitter at m365 dev podcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com to help us spread the word we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on itunes